Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Dop Differently. Jeremy Kalinowski with you today, learning Tractate Yivamot, page uh, Tzadik Aleph, or 91. In our study of this chapter, which begins with the Mishnah, as you're familiar with now, by the story of a, uh, of a woman who, believing her first husband to have died, goes and marries another man, and then discovers tragically that actually the first husband was alive, She's supposed to divorce them both, the second husband because she was never really married to him, and the first husband because she has now had an unwittingly adulterous uh, relationship in between, so she's supposed to divorce them both. When we read this first Mishnah in the chapter back on page 87, the Gemara understands the case under consideration to be an instance where the woman remarried on the strength of a single witness, normally in Judaism, We need two witnesses to be a full testimony. In this particular case, there was only one witness to her first husband's death, but the court, the Beit Din, authorized the acceptance of that one person's testimony. But if she were to have received uh, a full witnessing, the the complet of two witnesses, in such a case, at least according to the view of Rabbi Shimon, then she could remain married to the first husband, because after all, what did she do wrong? Nothing. That is the view that the, the immediately post-Mishnaic sage, Rav, a very important Amora, says quite specifically that if she marries on the strength of two witnesses, she need not, uh, at least as the Gemara understands Rav to say, Rav Ashi will interpret Rav as meaning, that she can go and remain married to that first husband, and it's only the second husband that she has to leave. This is a relatively lenient ruling. It seems to take into consideration some of the the problems of human tragedy in this case and gives the woman at least a a little, you know, interpersonal consideration that she's really done nothing wrong and it makes no sense to punish her. At least not with the extreme case of having to be divorced from each of these men and sort of branded as an unwitting adulteress. However, it must be noted that Jewish law throughout the centuries has not adopted Rav's view nor the view Uh, of the Mishnah as the Talmud itself construes it. We're in the somewhat unusual position that the Halakha, the the later legal decisions of Jewish history, you know, throughout the ages, actually treats much of our Talmudic discussion as Sheloke Halakha, as deviating from what would later become the accepted norm. The position that does become the, the norm is much more univocal and says that in any case, where there is a mistake in marriage after the incorrect report of a death. In each case, the woman must divorce each husband one and husband two, though she has done nothing wrong. To express this, I'm going to read to you from the commentary uh, on the Talmud of the Rif, Rabbi Yitzchak Alfasi. He is a, an 11th century, uh, is, as his name indicates, he's originally from Fez, but his most of his activity is in Spain. He's, a, uh, he's the principal statement of Jewish law and Talmudic interpretation in the in the earlier part of the Middle Ages in Spain. In fact, his principal students, 
principal student was Maimonides' father. So Maimonides stands in a direct three-generation line from Rabbi Yitzchak Alfasi, known as the Rif. And I'll read to you now from the Rif's uh, writing. That if you happen to be holding a Talmud that has the Rif in it, you can put your finger on the page where we are in the Talmud and page all the way back to page 27 and 28 in the Rif pages. The Rif goes on to explain the, uh, it starts off explaining the Mishnah, as I have said, that it refers to a case where, where there's only a single witness, and yet nonetheless the Beit Din uh, accepts his testimony, but were there two witnesses, the woman could stay with the first husband, and then he says, But the law is not that way. It doesn't matter whether the woman in question married with the, with the poor testimony of one witness and the Beit Din's authority, or she married with the excellent testimony of two witnesses, Im Baba Allah Harishon, if the first husband returned, she must divorce each of them and suffer all the financial penalties that the Mishnah outlined. And as the traditions of halachic writing go, the halachic authors just quote directly. Maimonides will quote the, the riffs phrasing almost directly, and the Shulchan Aruch later will quote that almost directly. So this is a very decisive articulation of the rule. Now, you might ask yourself, I ask myself, how is it that the medieval halachic authorities will depart from what, what appears to be the Talmud's own interpretation of the Mishnah and what appears to be Rav, very important authority, what Rav's interpretation of the Mishnah, Rav goes on specifically to say, Hachi Hilchata, according to uh, the position that we've outlined, the position of Rabbi Shimon, that, that if the woman marries upon the testimony of two witnesses, she's done nothing wrong, she deserves no penalty, and she should be able to return to the first husband. How does the, how does the later authorities uh, abandon what appears to be the simple meaning of the Talmud? Well, that's what happens on today's page. Today's page indicates uh, a departure from that view that was applied to the Mishnah and that view which Rav articulated. There are two ways in which that happens. The first is a very radical rereading of an apparently perfectly simple Baraita, that is to say a Tanaitic Mishnaic era teaching. The teaching goes like this: Kol Arayot Shabbat Torah, all of the sexual prohibitions in the Torah, ain't srichot get. If if a woman is engaged in such a such a sexual relationship, she need not receive a formal divorce from the the man in question because they're not technically married. Chutz mi eshet ish sheniset alpi beitin, except for a woman who was married with uh, the consent of a Beit Din based on one witness. Couldn't be much clearer than that. However, as it's Kedar Kova Kodesh, as its uh, sacred way is, the rabbis offer different alternative interpretations of that Baraita. And one of the things that they do, and this is in fact the final one of four different interpretations they give for this Baraita, and here I'm interpreting as Rashi explains it, is that the, the Talmud offers a very tiny textual emendation, offers one vav, uh, the vav meaning and, it inserts one word and into the text, and it goes like this, that no woman it, it needs a get after a case of arayot, the sexually prohibited relationship, except eshet ish, comma, ushenisait al pi beitin, neither a married woman who is incorrectly remarried after two witnesses testify, or after one witness with the authority of the Beit Din. Now that turns out to be precisely what will be the 
the later legal position that whether the remarriage happened with quote-unquote perfect or seemingly perfect witnesses or whether it happened with the specific instruction of a baked in the woman needs to divorce the man in question and they're going to have to go their separate ways and their marriage is dissolved even though it's really no fault of her own that's the first of the two indications that the Talmud is now leaving behind what had been the apparent first uh, approach to explaining the Mishnah. The second is an investigation of this idea, well, she really did nothing wrong. Frankly, it's true in any of the cases under consideration, she hasn't done anything wrong. But the Talmud will here on the bet side of the page, and I'll run through this with you kind of quickly. On the bet side of the page, about five lines down, it begins, Metiv Ula, Ula responds, Should we really rule on the basis that she really has done nothing wrong? If the dates are messed up in a get, they, the scribe uh, wrote the dates by the wrong calendar or wrote the location incorrectly, the get is invalid, and should she remarry, she must divorce each of those two men, and all of those other financial penalties. Why should she be punished if the scribe messed up the gate? If the scribe messed up the date or the location? And the answer the Talmud gives is, She actually it does bear some responsibility. She is somewhat negligent. She should have had the scribe read the, the get aloud before some, some literate and intelligent person who would know about the mistake. And the exact same thing happens three or four cases here on the bet side of our page. There are any number of uh, things which, which subsequently invalidate the get and would force this poor woman to have to dissolve then her second marriage as well. And each time the Talmud answers in basically the same way, she should have double-checked. Why are we going to punish her when she's done nothing wrong? Well, she, she at least was a little negligent. She should have double-checked. And so therefore, it's okay, the rabbis say, to exact this rather painful punishment for her. She does have some some measure of responsibility for the bad state that she's in. Now all of that would indicate that in a case where she really, really, really doesn't have any responsibility for the bad state that she's in, she was two witnesses, there's no reason to disbelieve two witnesses, she really done nothing wrong, and she got married in an intermediate, uh, to an intermediate man, she should be able to return to the first husband. And in fact, on our page, Rav Papa, important authority in Babylonia, was about to rule in an actual case just like this. He would have he would have ruled, as Rav said, he would have ruled as we understood the Mishnah to say that she could go back to her first husband. When his colleague, Rav Huna, son of Rav Joshua, says to him, you, you can't do that. Haven't you been listening to the conversation that we've been having? We've been saying that when it comes to marriages, we don't just say, well, she did nothing wrong, then it doesn't count as a case of adultery. Actually, the Talmud, with that, that statement of Rav Huna Breda Rav Yehoshua, does make the assertion that when it comes right down to it, when it comes to marriage, we say no matter what the circumstances were, if she was improperly married to those two men, so to speak, improperly married, then she really does need to divorce them both. And with that, we, we move from Rav's understanding, from the Mishnah's own understanding, to what will be the later halacha. Thanks for uh, spending these 11 minutes with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.